the tennis fundamentals, the serve, the volley, and the smash. This month we are doing tennis. What better way to take advantage of the great weather than with a game of tennis? I have no chance in the match. He's the number one in the world and I'm playing with the metal hit. Joe Allman, we have a huge episode. I have a whole page of notes. How many how many pages you got uh, docketed uh, over there? I've got like, I think nine. And how many hours is that? Uh, so right. including, I watched all, <laughs> almost five hours of Breakpoint uh, all in one day yesterday. So that was what, four and a half hours of that, probably another hour, hour and a half of uh, compiling my notes. Which I think is appropriate. We're in the absolute height of the season. We're in between... We're in the middle of two slams have passed, two slams ahead of us, and, and they're coming quickly through the summer here. Uh, we got Breakpoint coming out, so we got to address that. We got we got a lot to talk about, so it makes sense that it's a mega episode. I think we're going to split it into two, uh, and we have a guest today. So we got all sorts of exciting shit going on. We should just everybody just kind of settle in. And um, <laughs> for instance, Joe, we have not even addressed. The French Open uh, outcomes. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, oh, hell yeah. So uh, I'm going to give you a little humble brag here, man. My two picks, Novak and Iga. I, picked... I, think, I think you did. <laughs> I like, if I didn't, I, I hope or I had planned on it. And I'm pretty sure I did. So... I do have to mention my value pick, Ostapenko, went out in the second round. But other than that, my two picks to win, Novak claiming another French Open title, now puts him at 23, right? Slams? Right. He he now officially leads. And then yeah. we got uh, – yeah, yeah. And then we got Iga Shratek, women's champ, uh, just a machine, just dominated whole tournament. I actually didn't, uh, and we got Novak and Alcaraz in the semis, uh, so it was Al or it was uh, Novak over Casper Ruud in the final. Through the semis in the final, he pretty much took care of business. I don't, I don't know if he dropped a, he might have dropped a set in the final. He didn't drop one to Alcaraz. Yeah, that was. Uh, he's looking good, man. Looking really good. I'm trying to get on whatever workout plan he's doing. <laughs> You, we always talk about the fitness. He takes it super serious. Um, he's, he's unbelievable. He is machine-like. Um, Iga, on her part, is um, she's counting him because when she – so this was her fourth, and that's what she wrote on the – I know you said you like when they do a little autograph on the camera. Oh, yeah. She said number four, which you know she's thinking this, this count continues. Um. She beat a total Cinderella run at Mukova. Yeah. She took down a couple seeds. She slayed a couple seeds and um, made it to the final. So that's pretty cool for her. But I guess really the thing to talk about is if we're, I mean, heading to grass now, um, are we talking about a calendar slam again? Man, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> I'd love to see somebody pull it off again. To, to, and tell me if I have this right, but to explain this to the listeners, um, it's been almost never, very rarely done where you win all the slams in the season. Sometimes you win four in a row, but you won one like you won last year's U.S. Open at the 
quote unquote end of the season and then you win the next three, that's not your calendar slam. Um, and so right. I think like only, only like Rod Laver or someone a long time ago has done this. And, and I, think done it since. I think Steffi Graf did it. Okay. And I think she even did the golden slam. It was in an Olympic year and she won all four and Olympic gold. Huge. <laughs> but yeah, very rare. Very, very rare. And none of the big, none of the big three have done it. And Djokovic, he had it, he two years ago uh, had it right in his grasp. And it was Medvedev mm. who beat him in the U.S. Open final to, to end that. And then I think the year, either the year after that or the next couple of years, it was it was goofed up by all the COVID stuff. And so he didn't have a chance to do it then. But he's now on the path. Yeah, he's right back at it, man. The guy's just a machine. Goes to work. Anyway, that's that's the French. That's the clay season. Good riddance, I say. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. I gotta. I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, I think the French is my least favorite of the of the slams. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I'm just not a huge clay guy. It seems like. Uh, some of like the really good players just struggle on clay and like, I don't know. It just seems like kind of a, a strange tournament. Well, I actually read an article uh, during, during this year's where they said before the Rafa era, it was actually kind of considered the um, sort of B list fourth slam. Um, mm. Not everybody took grass and hardcore really seriously and, um, Clay kind of seemed like an oddball, like specialist game, but Rafa was the one who, who brought it to the forefront as like, you better be good at this if you, if you want to be, you know, one of the greats. Right. Interesting. I didn't know that. There you go. I have a couple, uh, <laughs> news and notes, uh, random things that have come across the social feeds and watching. Um, we'll talk about the grass tournaments because they're really hard to keep track of. As we went over in our 1000s episode, there's no, there's no ATP WTA 1000 tournament on grass. So during this period, when everyone's getting ready for Wimbledon, they just scatter. To I've been like keeping track of many more tournaments than I knew existed uh, before I started <laughs> being a podcaster. So we'll talk about those. But um, one thing I can say about them that I don't know if it'll come up again is that Venus Williams is playing. Hmm. Yes, I saw that. Is she is she playing um, at one of the grass tournaments, Joe? She's been playing on grass, and I think the intention is that she's gonna. I think she wants to play in Wimbledon, unless she's just having a good time. Would she need a wild card entry for that? Like, how would she how would she enter the tournament? I assume they'll give her a wild card. They're pretty generous with those, but yeah, I, I think so. I think yeah, that'd be how she'd would. get in. Yeah, and I'm uh, sure she they would love to give her one for the. TV ratings and all that. Yeah, no doubt. She'd be a big yeah. for all the fans. Uh, Serena, the wild card, and not to spoil the, the breakpoint conversation later or next episode, if you're going to listen back-to-back listeners, thank you. Um, <laughs> but we'll talk about it in, today. But um, they were, when, when Serena what, made her last little run there at the U.S. Open last year, her ranking was like, 602 or something oh yeah and actually that's another funny thing about these grass tournaments like i don't think djokovic has played in any of these yet since the french yeah and that's interesting because uh so i i just 
I hope I don't mess this up, but I just saw something on Instagram about this. So Djokovic and Alcaraz have been going back and forth between the number one spot this this year, right. depending on who's won like the last tournament. So obviously Djokovic won the French, and then Alcaraz had a good result at some grass tournament and just re reclaimed the uh, number one spot. So he's actually going to be the one seed at Wimbledon, I believe, which is kind of weird considering Novak's won the first two slams of the year. And I think I heard uh, Novak has more wins at Wimbledon than the next uh, twenty top 20 players combined, something like that. So <laughs> a heavy favorite, going to be the two seed. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I um, I saw that Alcaraz won at Queens this week, I think on Sunday. Yeah. Like, yep. I watched a little bit of that game, but he was looking in, in top form. So I'm curious to see how he, how he plays at Wimbledon and if he can sort of back up the chat from Queens. I think that would be impressive if he can. But it, it almost, and I mean, that's huge for Alcaraz to already kind of make his huge debut last year coming, like, just coming, not out of nowhere, but just emerging very quickly as, like, the top dog. And then, but it wasn't on grass that that happened. And then for him to be able to pick that up so quickly and be, yeah, making a statement coming in. But it still is like, geez, it feels like Djokovic is just, like, he's just focusing on this. I mean, when they're this old and they're this much better than everybody else, they just wait. They just rest. They yeah. Just slam. yeah, he's made all the money he could ever spend, too. So he's got no reason to play <laughs> in any other tournaments. He is going to play. Um, we'll talk about all this stuff later. He's going to play in. Boy, I think he's playing in the Giorgio Armani in London. <laughs> wow. Some odd tournaments coming up. We'll get to all that. I wanted to quickly hit um, the other hot gossip item. Um Stefano Sissipas and Paula Bedosa. <laughs> Do you guys know about this one? Power couple. I saw it. I saw it on, on the gram. Instagram yeah, I saw, official. I saw some tweets. Uh, they look good. <laughs> no, that's a that's a good looking couple for sure. Good, uh, good tennis skill for for a couple as well. Yeah, Both they're <laughs> combined. So their combined looks ranking is in the is in the right up in the eight, nine, and tens, and their combined, uh, you know, add up their seeds or their their rankings, and it's, it's probably right around the same area. I don't know what Bedos is sitting at lately. Sissipas is probably six. Yeah, something like that. Just hypothetically, imagine the pressure on any poor child they have to be like a <laughs> star tennis player. It's like being a double legacy at a college and not getting in or something. It's going to be a mountain of pressure, I would think. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Robbie. I mean, these, <laughs> these young, fiery athletes, I mean, these, these people are younger than us, these two. So they have a long way to go before they're uh, settled down with a, a crop of their own or anything like that. <laughs> they got time. They got time. All these people we're talking about, the older-ish ones are younger than us. Yeah, it's wild, man. <laughs> I got to recalibrate. It's like crazy, and I know we'll talk about this a little, little later, but when I was watching Breakpoint and they show some of the stuff that Sabalenka was talking about, and you just kind of forget sometimes that 24 years old, 25 years old, like, I don't know. I think sometimes I'm, what, 29 going 30 like you just think of these people as if they're the same age as you or older, but like some of these 
some of these athletes are just kids, really. Nothing more. <laughs> Thank God for Djokovic, honestly. When he does retire, I'm really going to feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, Robbie, we're so glad you're here, by the way. Um, of course, happy to be here. For our listeners, a man from London, he can tell us what it's like on the ground during Wimbledon era. I don't know if he's lived there in many years, but he, he's a man about town over there. Um, he's a podcaster as well. So, Ravi, tell us tell us what's up. Um, tell us why you're here. And you can do your pod pitch as well if you want to cross over some of our 12 to 17 listeners over to you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. So, for everyone, I'm Ravi. Nice to meet you all uh, over the pod. Um, I grew up in London, so I'm a little bit familiar with the sort of tennis structure uh, and how UK tennis works a little bit and have a few friends who sort of went through the ranks uh, at the LTA, which is the Lawn Tennis Association, like UK's equivalent of the USTA. Um, and so, yeah, just, just excited to talk a little bit about English tennis, Wimbledon upcoming, um, Breakpoint, we'll chat about a little bit as well. And yeah, like you mentioned, Joe, I'm, I'm a little bit of a podcaster content creator myself um i'm working on like a series of interviews where i talk to various people of like south asian heritage and just ask them about their sort of experiences in life and how they how they reached where they are in the u.s so um it's called untold um we are on instagram i will share a link with joe if he wants to include it and happy to have some of you come over and give us a listen and a watch excellent Welcome, name, welcome. Rob? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for the warm welcome. I'm excited. Uh, tennis has always been close to my heart. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, it's not a podcast. So we actually just like a in Instagram channel where we create content. So the Instagram oh. channel is just untold underscore official for anyone who is keen to check it out. All right. Untold underscore official. Love it. Um, Oh yeah, we're gonna talk breakpoint because that's that's one of your other qualifications is that you're a reality TV fan. So I think you'll be able to give a good. I'm a, I'm a fanatic. <laughs> uh, so I will be well qualified. I finished uh, breakpoint and went straight on to Love Island, so it really segued nicely. <laughs> um, what what I wanted to commiserate with you about just to just to warm up was um you know hey. UK, the US, got those those big powerful U's in front of it, big powerhouse <laughs> countries from the old school days. But um, we're both kind of hurting in tennis, you know, in the past couple of decades. Uh, what, who's who's in the like the eye, the hearts, minds, eye of, of fans in England, and um, you know, what are your guys' hopes that are that are being dashed tournament after tournament like we are? Yeah, I mean, at this current, like, stage, Andy Murray is, like, on one leg at this point or one hip, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. Um, but he's still, he still makes valiant effort, slam after slam, to get back into shape and try and compete. So I think whenever he's in the main draw, and it looks like he might be, um, there's he's always a fan favorite right like i mean there's no one even in terms of like english tennis players or uk tennis players right now who even sort of come come close to what sir andy has achieved over the years i think the other name that people sort of look out for and carry some household value on the men's side of the draw is always uh cam nori is there and i know i think he might 
might not be top 10 anymore, but he was for a period of time and managed to take a set off of Djokovic last year. So that was that was something to celebrate. And then there's Dan Evans, who's been around for a while as well. But like you mentioned, it's sort of a lack of upcoming talent. And then on the women's side, um, there's Jody Burridge, who's there as well. And then Emma Raducanu, who obviously famously won the US Open, but hasn't hasn't done a whole lot of note since then. But she's still young and there's still a lot of time on her side to sort of get back into the winning swing of things as well. But yeah, similar to the US, there's not not a whole lot to look forward to, it feels like. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I think the US has a little better, like, you know, with Tiafo and, and other guys, I think Fritz as well. There's some more household names, but hoping for one last Sarandi Swan song before he finally hangs up the racket. Yeah, um, Dan Evans cracks me up. He's like the most British guy of all time. He's the most British guy. And it's like he's one of those guys that's just there year after year, like never goes past like the third round or anything, but just he's always there. He's pretty perpetual. So always fun to see him swinging about uh, at Wimbledon. Radican uses star. She's so cute. She's like so prim. Um, she's wearing like Tiffany diamonds on the court. Uh, and yeah, so that. She's like ready to be a star and won that slam, but we haven't talked about her a lot, Joe. Because again, because as you said, Ravi, she has just hasn't won or made a big statement in any of the couple turns. I think she hurt her arm recently, and she's like, I don't know if she'll play this year. Um, I saw a magazine cover in one of the English publications that had it had Nori and it had Jack Draper. Draper. And yeah, he's exciting. I like the look of him, I will say. I know I left him off my list, but I have high hopes for him. We recently had one of these grass tournaments. Um, it was one of the smaller ones, so it, it, don't take this too much into account, but um, Katie Bolter actually uh, beat Burridge. Do you know Katie yeah. Bolter? Yeah, I've heard the name, and I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's quite an avid tennis player as well. He said that he felt like that was a bit of an upset, and I think Jody's overall game is a little stronger. Um, but we will, I guess, see what happens in the future. But I think right now, in terms of women's tennis beyond Raducanu, it feels like hopes are a little bit pinned on Jody Burge coming good. Got it. Interesting. What And what we talk about sometimes, I coined this, and they're going to start using it when we get our listenership up. But like <laughs> we have a little bit of a carousel going on in the U S where um, just through sheer volume, like there, every tournament you'll be like, Oh my God, you know, uh, such and such tennis Sandgren or, or uh, you know, who's, who's the guy who does the underhand serves half the time, Joe. <laughs> Curious. <laughs> no, no, no. The American guy who's a, who plays nutty. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on this. Um, no, we'll we'll pick him up. But I, but but exactly, you're drawing a blank because it's kind of. I'm glad that we see, we do see Tiafo and Chris sort of emerging, and I think they're now both in the top ten. I don't, I don't know if that's shifted in the last couple of. I mean, as I said, they're playing all these goofy grass tournaments. But um, yeah, I mean, Radicanu is a big moment, and then she's kind of disappearing, and then you say, oh, is is. I don't know. Is is Katie Bolter the one to look out for this tournament? And then and then maybe in a year from now, it's it's like doesn't develop into the somebody who's winning twenty three slams or anything like that. So it's like it's it's hard to know where the focus is or, or who to really put the chips on. Maybe. 
Yeah, it gets a little bit hard to sort of keep track. It feels like there's always someone that they're sort of pushing forward is like, okay, not necessarily the next big thing, but like, okay, British women's tennis or British men's tennis, new number one, right? And I think there hasn't been someone who's consistently occupied that spot, although um, there was, there's obviously um, Heather Watson's been around in women's tennis and there's a, who is Joanna Conta? That's what I'm thinking of. She had some pretty, I think, uh, consistent success, albeit not too much at the slam level, but she was a top 10 ranked player as well. But I think it's just been a little bit of a revolving carousel in terms of who to look out for and, and who's sort of on the up and up in English tennis for sure. Have That's you it. ever played? No, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Conta because I, I was a big Conta fan a few years ago when she was playing well. She was like a like a perennial like third or fourth rounder in the uh, in the slams, like kind of a top 20 type player. And like you said, I think she was in the top 10 for a while. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Conta fan. Yeah, and like she's, she's one of those athletes, and I think tennis is more uh, – is more prone to like people who are sort of born and raised in one country and then sort of switch allegiance based on like where they train. Um, like obviously after watching Breakpoint, I was looking up about Isla, for example. Oh uh, yeah. Rich, I don't know if I said her last name correctly, but she's obviously Croatian born, but represents Australia, but resides in Boca Raton or whatever. So I think the UK, like across all of our sports, like cricket, a lot of our athletes as well are, they're sort of born in South Africa or other, commonwealth countries and then come here for training or school or whatever and then end up representing the uk so i think conta was maybe australian um and then cam nori is like it's definitely somewhat south african so there's a lot there's mm -hmm. a lot of um athletes from all over the place that represent the uk which i think is quite cool as well yeah for sure and i uh, i did want to mention i'm a huge jack draper fan man <laughs> I'm, buying, <laughs> I'm buying all uh, all the jack draper stock i can get my hands on right now you're rolling on Jack. I'm excited for him. I think this will be a good tournament for him. Let's see. Let's see how he does. He's, he's cool. I think he's ranked like maybe just under 50 right now in the world. I can't remember. Um, but he's definitely definitely rising. So I'm keen to see how he does. Um, for sure, I think for sure. I think he's out of Wimbledon. I could be wrong. I think he had oh, a is he? I think he had oh. a shoulder issue. Um, but excited to see how he does in like other slams down the road as well he's getting to that point where hopefully we'll see him kick on in a few of them yeah for sure he's a big big lefty for the uh listeners who aren't uh, familiar with him big six six foot four guy big forehand he's struggled with his fitness a little bit so far in his career but uh he's shown some some big time promise for sure and that's what that's what the announcers will say right big jack <laughs> oh you're, yeah, I just uh, I just looked it up. Yeah, he is gonna miss Wimbledon. You're right, shoulder injury. That's too bad. As I've I feel like a, a home slam is kind of one of the easier ones to just get your bear. Like he'll obviously have been playing on grass for a lot of his life. Um, it's a shame that he couldn't couldn't sort of give it a good go at Wimbledon. Might have been a little bit less challenging than some of the others. Good old Union Jack, as we'll call him from now on. <laughs> <laughs> So much better. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Ravi, have you played on grass? Yeah, I played on grass like growing up a little bit. So maybe a slightly blasphemous to admit on this part as well. But at about the age of like 13 or 14, I switched to playing squash at a pretty competitive level. But 
up until then I would play on like hardcore like gravel maybe and then we had grass courts at school as well um but as you can imagine there's not tons and tons of like readily available grass courts in the UK it's just kind of difficult to maintain as like a surface and a um and like sort of an overall court as opposed to like gravel or just like a hard court so they are they're definitely less um ubiquitous than you might think they would be in a country where the slam is on the grass surface does the ground underneath have to be so hard yeah it does because otherwise the ball just like doesn't really carry right um, yeah. and so it has to be pretty firm um, and it's like i think when we all think of grass and like, i think of parks like backyards like it's a very different kind of surface than that so it's a lot firmer and like obviously it's well kept uh, but the ball like really springs up off the surface like quite quite much more than you would expect if you're playing for like the first time or you never really experienced that feeling before so it's a lot of fun to play around on and you can sometimes get a nice little good slide going as well so i used to enjoy it um yeah it was i used to enjoy it more than the hard courts we had access to so i would always prefer it for sure what's funny about that and this is why i mentioned that about the ground is like i think a lot of people who haven't experienced it like they find they find it hard to understand how the ball is bouncing like that and one of the ways i finally understood it is when i lived in los angeles and i was like when you're in the desert and, it, and the ground is like a rock hard ground and you have really short i mean in our case it was just like barely growing badly kept grass but if you if you have a really hard service under uh then it will bounce but that's funny because it's obviously not deserty whatsoever in England. So I don't, I don't know how they keep it so hard on like right on the top part of the soil where the grass grows. Yeah. It might be the kind of soil they use. I know that um, there's like different types of soil that you can use, like maintain grass, like sporting pitches or like tennis courts or whatever. So it could be to do with like the firmness of the thing. There's like a black soil and a red soil, for example, like it, one is more firm than the other. So it could, it could be do that, but I'm definitely just speculating and making things up probably there what else is different when you're playing i mean is is for somebody watching is it is it slower you said you can slide a little bit um a little bit less than clay so it's in between it's in, in between hard and clay as far as like slide ability it, the ball's moving slower right yeah it moves a little bit slower i will say that for someone like alcaraz you can slide on just about any surface so for him it doesn't doesn't quite matter but yeah it's obviously a little bit less like slideable and extendable than in clay but more so than hardcore i think the other thing i think that just takes people off guard like you mentioned it's just the bounce right it takes some getting used to like your sort of strike point of the ball um it takes some adjustment i remember reading an interview a long time back i think it was the year and i could be again misstating but when andy murray won wimbledon who did he beat in the final? Was it Milos Raonic? Is that right? I think that is right, yeah. Yeah, and I think Milos did an interview afterwards. I think it was his first sort of extended run on grass, and he just said how long it just took him to sort of get adjusted to hitting the ball uh, on that surface, like where you sort of strike it relative to other surfaces. So I think that's just what takes some getting used to as well. Um, and I just think like across the, across the globe, it's just probably the least prevalent surface would be my guess. So... I think people just have a general lack of exposure to it. And like you mentioned, right, there's not any tournaments sort of on the circuit that that really play on grass courts besides the sort of lead up to Wimbledon. So I think just getting people exposed to it would make a big difference in how sort of easy it is to play on for folks. 
Joe Holman, what do you know about grass? Who's good <laughs> on it? Why? So I, I've got a question for Robbie, and this is – I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. This is going to be a really stupid question. but So obviously Federer dominated at Wimbledon, and they, they would always say he's got the one-handed backhand. And so, so did uh, Pete Sanfras, who dominated at Wimbledon. They always say, like, the one-handed backhand is built for grass, and I, I don't know why. <laughs> Do you have any insight into why the one-handed backhand is advantageous on grass? That's a great question, and I I am someone who has a two-handed backhand. So me, me too. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's just when you sort of have that that one-handed action, and again, like this is just a gut feeling. Like you sort of can get a bit more, I think, whip with your wrist almost. And like mm. you guys have probably played more tennis in your life than me, but um, with that sort of whip ability of the one hand, you get a bit more kick and bounce off of it, which makes it a little bit more lethal on that grass surface. Mm. Um, that's that's what my take is, but I could be wrong. That's good insight. I like that. <laughs> I've I've always wondered about that, but yeah. So have you uh, have you ever been in attendance at Wimbledon? Uh, I went once when I was very young, but I've lived in the U.S. since I was about four. 14. Um, okay. So I've been to the US Open like I think 10 times in my life and Wimbledon once. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, maybe we don't include that in the final cut because that probably ruins my credentials as a Wimbledon person. But um, I've been to Henman Hill and what turned into like Murray Mount or whatever a few times as well to watch from the outside. So that oh. was that was a lot of fun. Um, and I think for any sort of kid who grew up and was just interested in sports like Wimbledon was this big event, always during summer holidays, and it's on what we would call free-to-air TV. So, like, you didn't need to have cable to watch mm. it. It was on BBC One, which is, like, our prime channel that every single person in the country generally will have access to. And so as a kid who was, like, pretty bored at home, like, it just filled up so many summer holidays for me, just sitting there watching every single match of the tournament. Um, and in my youth at least just being inevitably let down by the duo of like Henman and Greg Rosetsky never really making it past the quarterfinals. So yeah, haven't been in attendance but uh all too much of my life, but I've watched a lot of Wimbledon, I will say. Got you. So the the one time you went, did you get the strawberries and cream? I did get the strawberries and cream. I'm not like right. I'm not a huge strawberries person, so it was I just I don't think I loved it um, as much as it's supposed to. But um I will say of all the strawberries I've had in my life, they were definitely definitely one of the better sets. Um, and it is a it is a good objective combo, the strawberries and cream, just not for me. <laughs> well, I'll definitely be getting some uh if I ever make it to Wimbledon for sure. Yeah, it's a beautiful like part of London to just check out as well. A little bit more suburban and, and sort of um sort of lived in more than like city vibes but it's just such a gorgeous gorgeous place and it's just so i think the energy the english summer is a little bit unmatched because we get all this rain all year and then you get like a few weeks of bright sunshine and everyone is just on another level and i think it's just a fantastic atmosphere in general to be around um so yeah it's definitely worth checking out if you can is it easy to get up there robbie because you know uh so you and i live in new york and the U.S. Open is in Queens. Um, it's an easy train ride, but it's not in the center of New York City by any means, where, where you and I would hang out. And I know that's the same in Paris. It's not right there uh, in walkable Paris. But so so where, like, if you're in London, you know, 
proper and you're hanging out, how easy is it to get to Wimbledon? Yeah. Um, so like there is a, there's a tube stop, right? You could take the tube to Southfields, um, which is a, probably similar to like what Flushing is or what you mentioned about Roland Garros as well. Um, it's in what we call like zone three of London. So London, like from a public transport perspective is split up into, I think it goes up to like seven zones, but like really the majority of like London train stations, tube stops will fall into the four zones, like zone one being like central London, like Piccadilly, uh, Piccadilly Circus, Leicester Square, that kind of area. Zone two being a little bit further out, but still very much what I would consider being central London, like um, Whitechapel's, I think is there. Then you've got um, Shoreditch, for example. So like maybe kind of like the Williamsburg kind of vibe equivalent in new york and then zone three is that sort of flushing band of kind of places so southfields or south wimbledon where tennis is it's sort of in that band not too difficult to get to like probably about 30 35 minutes from central london and it's pretty easy train so not difficult by any means and there's good public transport to get there i love that zone system that really puts a fine point on you know like do you really live in the city or you don't live in the city no bs you tell me exactly what zone you live in it, it is, to be fair, uh, the zone determines how much you pay. And so there are arguments that, like, if you're someone who lives in a further out zone, you pay more to get into London. Whereas I love the fact that New York is just capped at 275, although it apparently might be going up. Um, going to yeah. three, Joe. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you might need to buy a car. <laughs> I had, a, I had a buddy say he was having trouble with his finances and he, he's been waiting for it to go up to three so it can just be a round number. <laughs> you you guys know the theory about like how a, a slice of pizza, like a cheese slice will match roughly the, the cost of the subway. That's like sort of how you track inflation in New York City to get a sense. That's interesting. Yeah, wow. when, it's, when it's out of sync, that means you know that either pizza is going to raise the price or subway is going to raise the price to match the other. Or, or someone's doing funny business. <laughs> or someone's too hot, you know? They're just messing it up. They're ready. Um, so I can run through sort of what's been going on on grass. You guys both know more than me. You guys are both smarter. Uh, and then I want to hear... So, like, that's why I want to just... Lead off with the numbers, the stats, and then, uh, or really, really more to like the names. And then I want to have you guys run wild with the predictions and hopes and dreams. <laughs> Sounds great. So, so, Hallman, we have to get a better system for tracking this next year. Like, um, as I said, it, it, I was having a, a really great and easy time uh, tracking the 1000s in the lull between the Australian and the French. Hmm. And everybody plays at, Indian Wells, and then they all play at Miami, and then they all head to like Barcelona and Monte Carlo and stuff. All of a sudden, I'm like, I can't even find like the Instagram pages of some of these tournaments. Um, they all are like, we've talked about this before, like how, how they're referred to is like typically like the city, but like some of them have an official name, like, like some of them are a brand, some, like, you know, Roland Garros is the French Open. Um, so I've been like Googling around trying to figure out what everybody's playing. Um, but here, here are 
some of the people that have been winning on grass lately. That's that's as, and this is across like five or six tournaments. Some of them are only women. Some of them are only men. Um, I'm calling out Stugert. Ravi, help me out with this uh, from Europe in Germany. <laughs> Stuttgart. Stuttgart. That's how we say um, in England, although I have never asked a German person, so that could also be off. <laughs> well, we're averaging it out. Uh, Stuttgart is feels a little bit bigger potatoes just because um, it had both men and women, so, so that's kind of a name tournament. Some of these are smaller, some of them are bigger, but um, we had Tiafo win. Yes. Lovely. Launching him into the top 10. Huge win for him on grass. Really cool to have that momentum going in. Um, Alcaraz won Queen's Club. Yeah. Is that, that what I would say is Yeah, it's, no, Queen's Club is right. I think it's arguably the biggest Wimbledon lead-up tournament of the bunch. Okay, so this is and this is in England somewhere. Is it is it near London? Yeah, I believe so. I'm just I'm gonna quickly Google that, but I think it's pretty close to Wimbledon. I'm gonna start pulling up the Googles as well. But do do women? I don't think women play Queen's Club as well. No, they play Eastbourne, I think, which is the women's only tournament. I think Eastbourne is still on the horizon. It's kind of just getting started. So we had yeah. like five tournaments wrapped last week, and they're they're still gonna. For some of these players, like Alcaraz is going to play in another one of these. So if he just won on like Saturday morning for us in Eastern time, he's going to play all week in another tournament. And then the first round is the 3rd of July. Wow. Just yeah, thanks, That's next Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Did, did uh, Wimbledon qualifying start today? Qualifying starts today, so he doesn't okay. have to worry about that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but if you, I mean, if he goes far, if he plays in the final on like Saturday, and then he has to play in the first round on Monday. Yeah, that's he's interesting. Young. And he's playing in. I forget which one of these he's doing. But um, hold on, hold on, because there's so many. Let me focus here. So, so we had um, there was Queens Club. There was uh, and there was Queens Club, and there was Stuttgart. Um, there was Hal, H-A-L-L-E. Yeah. Hal? Yeah, I don't know. That's I'm in Germany to... as well. There's also one in Berlin. So Germany gets really in on this uh, on this grass court season. Um, and then there was one in Nottingham. Yep. I think I've heard of that one as well. Um, and here, here's some of the winners. So, so we said Tiafo won a big one. Alcaraz won a big one. Shiatek won one of the big ones. Um, we just talked about Katie Bolter from the UK in a in a UK on UK in the UK tournament. Um, Joe, are we getting are we going bullish back on Ostapenko? So I saw that she won Birmingham. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Let's get in on it. Let's put the bets back. Let's double all our losses. Let's try to cover those plus a win. <laughs> That's how you go downhill fast. Yeah, you might. Uh, we might be hearing her name later on in this podcast. In Hal, Hal, <laughs> it doesn't sound proper coming from. There's got to be a better German way to say this. H A L L E. Um, Alexander Bublik won. Uh, are, you, are, you, are, you, 
are you guys familiar with him? He's like a super entertaining, like just like kind of like just does like crazy stuff during the match. Like just gets the crowd involved, like the whole trick shot thing. It's a he's like a, a really interesting player. Yeah, he's been around for a while, right? Like I feel like I've heard his name at least. Yeah, and yeah. he's uh, I see he's now into the top thirty, which is probably the highest he's ever been. And like uh, I'm a <laughs> he's like super fun to watch. Oh, Joe, it's Mackie McDonald who's who's always like goofing around and doing odd, oddball stuff on the okay. US side. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that about him. Um, and then Petra Kvitova won. Let's see, she won in Berlin. Mm. Solid win. So, um, those are the those are people who have won a grass championship recently. There is four more out of us: Eastbourne, Mallorca, Bad Omberg, and the Giorgio Mar- Armani in London. Robbie, I'm going to be interested if you've ever heard of that. Um, but quickly, well, no, t- tell me because then I have just a dumb list of names, and then you guys are going to go. Is that, oh, is that familiar to you, the Giorgio Armani, Robbie? No, as a, as a brand, I'm well aware, but not as a. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's new. Uh, it says it's called the Giorgio Armani Tennis Classic. So I don't know how classic it is, but um, <laughs> it's in London, and that's where that's where Djokovic is going to get his one grass warm up in before Wimbledon. So we'll all be watching this week. Um, I mean, just it's kind of all over the place. the The stars are a little bit scattered, but. Um, think most of them are you know they got to play somewhere other winners are uh actually here's who i listed out here okay this is anybody who played in a semi semi-final um across these grass tournaments so someone who's playing okay on grass is, is who's qualified on this list i'll skip a lot of these i'll, I'll hit the highlights because there's a lot <laughs> corda went to a semi of one of these he, i think he lost to alcaraz at queen's club does that sound right to you guys? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So Sebastian Corda, uh, very promising, lanky American. We hope to see him make a little run in the next couple tournaments. Um, Alcaraz beat the Australian Damonar. Kind of an Australian that's been knocking on the door for a while. Zverev, Runa, Rublev, uh, Hubie Hercatch, Jordan... Stroof is who Tiafo beat in the either semi or the final. So some some hard hitting like men's names that I, I feel like are have been in the conversation for a while. Any yeah, that's a there? that's an interesting list. Uh, I wonder if Demon R can make a little run here at Wimbledon. I'm like I don't know. I feel like he's going to break out at a slam at some point. I I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, Super quick, gets to every ball. So hopefully he can make a little run here. On the women's side, uh, Anz Jabir was a semifinalist in one of these crazy tournaments. So was Sabalenka. So some of the big, the big, big names. Uh, Potapova from Russia, mm. sort of the new Russian threat. Uh, <laughs> she was a semifinalist in, in two of these. So she's been playing by these sort of hard-to-keep-track-of metrics, uh, really good on grass. Um, Alizé Cornet from France. Uh, 
Almond. Do you know who Vekic is? Yeah, Donna Vekic. Yeah, she's been around for a while. Uh, I think she's she's had some good results in slams. Like she might have been to like a semi. I think she just. I think she lost to. I think she was a finalist. I think she either lost to Kvitova or Ostapenko. Um, Sakari was in one of these semis, and uh, Ravi, tell us one more time about Barrage. J- Jody Anna. Yeah, so there's Jody Barrage, and then um, then who? Sorry, who would you, who did you play in the final game? I know it's Bol- Bolter. Is her first name Julie? Kate, Katie Bolt, so Katie Jody Bolt. Anna Barrage, who you're saying is kind of more the – that's where we're putting the chips, uh, as I put it. Ended up losing in, a, in one of these grass finals to Katie Bolter. Yeah, and I think actually what was interesting um, interesting about – I think it was the Birmingham Classic, right? No, I can't remember what tournament it was. Um, were you talking about Nottingham? Yeah, I think we're talking about Nottingham. Um, so even the semifinals – but Nottingham, we had three Brits in the semifinals because Heather right. Watson played Katie Bolter. So she's someone who's been around for a while. Um, I think with Barrage, I'm just trying to like think of how I would frame it. I think she has a more solid sort of all-round game, um, a little bit more consistent. I know she lost the final, so this is obviously tough to back up with recent evidence. But... Um, She's got a little bit more of a solid all-round game, but I think maybe Bolter has sort of more upside, if that makes sense. So maybe a little bit less refined, um, but but sort of higher potential. But I think for the purpose of like this year's Wimbledon, I would I would put some chips, not definitely not all of them, on uh, Barrage. I'll close with this because these grass tournaments are obviously small and maybe everybody's, you know, having a good time. Just, I mean, especially if you're playing in Mallorca where I know Stefano Sissipas is playing, maybe you're, <laughs> maybe you're just enjoying the scenery a little bit and you're just kind of getting your feet ready on grass. You're not leaving it all out there. Uh, so it, Ravi, I don't think it's wrong to, to not consider everything that's happening in these tournaments, but what, should be a major consideration. And here's a name we have not talked about much yet. Last year, the defending champion, Novak Djokovic, that's a name that we can't stop talking about, unfortunately. (laughs) It just goes on and on. And he is the uh, defending championship after winning against, in in four sets, I believe, against Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, Yeah, four four sets, yeah. Yeah. I think he's got to be the odds-on favorite, like by a long shot, right? I don't know. Maybe I could picture Alcaraz running him close. Seems to have legs for days, and that goes a long way on grass to be able to sort of have that endurance. But never look, never look past Novak. I know you guys will probably have some smart picks, but hard for me, sort of hard to hard to come up with anyone who's gonna give him a run for his money. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think he's uh, by far the favorite here. So I'm looking at uh, DraftKings, uh, the odds for winning. He's number one at minus 140. Number two is uh, Alcaraz plus 350. And then a huge jump to uh, Medvedev is third at plus 1600. So yeah, the two huge favorites are Djokovic, Alcaraz. 
Uh, he's uh, I'm, I'm taking Novak. He's my pick for sure. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, defending champion. He's won, I think, seven Wimbledon titles, two in a row now. Uh, I think he's going to make it three this year. And like I mentioned, I think unless he uh, does well at the Giorgio Armani, I think he will be the two seed behind Alcaraz, which is mind-boggling to me. But, yeah, I think I agree. I think he's the odds-on favorite. Yeah, I mean, is to put this in historical perspective, is this his best tournament? Is he? I mean, is he is he best on grass versus anything else? Uh, I guess I, I think of him as a as more of a hardcore guy. So he has won the Australian. He's won Wimbledon seven times. He's won the Australian, I believe, ten times. Good lord. <laughs> uh. I guess I mean he's got an all-around game. He's he's good on all three surfaces. I I think of him as a hardcore guy, but can't argue with seven Wimbledon titles. It's almost just because you want to. Well, first it's two things. One, you just want to categorize him as the third goat, and all the surfaces have to be represented. Mm. And two, the only reason he has all these Australians, Joe, is one of the best sports facts you ever dug up for this podcast. <laughs> he's in the best shape, so everybody goofs around all off season. During Christmas and everything, yeah, he's the only guy that like comes ready to play at the beginning of the year. Yeah, early in the season. Yeah, I honestly believe that's why he does so well at the Australian. Is Nick Curios part of the conversation again? I mean, I mean, is he going to be like knocking off Runa in a semi, or is he like he's going to go two rounds? I mean, I I <laughs> never count him out. Like, dude, as we'll as we'll talk about in Breakpoint, he can get under anyone's skin. Like, <laughs> and his like huge coming out party was he beat Nadal at Wimbledon many years ago when when Nick was like nineteen or something. When Nadal was like in his prime, that was like Nick's uh, his big break there. So he likes Wimbledon. Obviously, played in the finals last year. Um, is he is he for sure playing in Wimby this year? I think he purposely sat out the last tournament to, to be ready for Wimbledon. Or okay, because he's been he's been injured, but yeah, yeah, hopefully. we haven't talked about him since yeah since much yeah. earlier in the so, podcast. Yeah, hopefully for his sake he'll be playing in uh, in Wimbledon. I mean, he's a crowd pleaser. Get the TV ratings up, get the attendance up, but never so, never write him off. But I think if he came up against Djokovic again in some hypothetical final, he'll probably. Be the same outcome he's got he's one of those guys i think on his day can beat just about anyone but his days seem fewer than and more sometimes so yeah i i mean i'd be excited to watch him like you said he always brings a good deal of entertainment and he's a good character which i think is sort of slightly more tradition steep stuffy tournament like wimbledon can use sometimes someone just to break the tension and rules a little bit as well I completely agree. I could see him going to the semis. I could see him losing in the first round. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I think that I think the range of expectations is around there, and it is a wide range. Like, I don't know if he's mentally good. I don't know if he's physically good, but um, it would be exciting to see him be be a seed slayer and just like be sort of a shakeup. No, he, there's no. He's not beating. He's not winning the tournament. He's not beating Djokovic, but uh. Just to run it back, last like last year before he, I think, started having some injury troubles at the beginning of this year, um, he 
made his way to the Wimbledon final. It it does have to be said that uh, he had a walkover against Nadal, so he was a semifinalist, and then suddenly he was a finalist because Nadal <laughs> freaking beat up on Fritz in five <laughs> sets in this unbelievable match. And then at the end of the match, he's like, yeah, I'm injured. I'm not going to play the next one. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, that would have been epic. Um, we would I mean, he could have stepped out a, a game earlier or something. Um, <laughs> and then uh, at, at the U.S. Open at the end of the year, he had a great run, and he, he smoked Medvedev. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he crushed him. Yeah. So that'll be exciting to just have him back around, and hopefully that keeps going. Um, you want to do men's predictions, Ravi? Thoughts? Exciting things? That's a good question. Um, yeah, like I said, I think I don't know how the, the draw and the bracket would play out, but I think uh, Alcaraz, Djokovic final would be my sort of easy pick um for the for the final i'm trying to think if i have any dark horses that i might want to i might want to endorse out in public to the 12 to 17 listeners <laughs> um i don't know i i mean i feel like there's always a few players that, that sort of pop up i'm trying to think can we come back to me on that one? I want to. I want to give a good answer for that. That's sort of a dark horse. Sorry, that's <laughs> not not the best. Yeah, we can come back to you, but we're going to uh, we're going to women because I, I guess I just would finish off <laughs> just the like the reminiscences on and we'll talk Breakpoint and all this. Anybody who watched Breakpoint is like, well, duh, of course. But uh, last year's uh, champion is Rabakina from Kazakhstan, and uh, she beat Anz Jabor. So I did have one more thought on the men's side. If oh, go we, ahead, Joe. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> so for my my value pick, my dark horse, someone like although now he's like pretty highly ranked, so it's not as much of a dark horse. I like Tiafo, man. I know yeah. that's a that's a homer pick, but I know we're big fans of him. But I like his chances. So he made it to the fourth round at Wimbledon last year, into the top ten now for the first time in his career, coming off a win at Stuttgart. Uh, a grass court tournament uh, I for the third ATP title of his career. I, I like him a lot heading into the tournament here. I, I think all, him. Sorry, go ahead, Jay. I'm, I'm all about that. Like, uh, he, do, he doesn't need to win Wimbledon. I mean, that, that would be in, an insane story. But uh, he needs to be in the, the semifinal conversation. Like, in the semis, you know what it's going to look like. It's going to be like, Zverev and Rude and Runa, you know what I mean? Like, uh, Tiafoe needs to be there every time. And, like, he definitely should be there this tournament. Yeah, his his whole thing is really just – I mean, I love him as a player as well, so just joining the, the echoed sentiment there. But I think for him, just finding that consistency – and I think he talks about that a little bit in Breakpoint as well. But he he's definitely one to watch. And I came up with my name. I think I'm going to put – some little dark horse chips on Karen Kachanov as well. Mm, love whoa, that. Whoa, Robbie. Yeah. Even worse than when you couldn't think of one. I think I saw on Instagram today he bowed out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was like <laughs> uh, bad timing. Well, fine. Wimbledon 2024, Karen Kachanov. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard, it's hard to 
it's this time of year is like everything is happening so fast. Um, I was more on it than than usual, but uh, I did I did see another one. comment that was everyone not named Djokovic should just be a dark horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ho- I'm hoping for the Americans. I I don't know if there's anybody else. Who, I think I have more on the women's side who I who I are. I have a little inkling that that might play good. So so let's let's do that. We talked to Rabakina, uh defender Jabur, still a dreamer. Um, it's a lot more fun to talk about the women sometimes because there's not Djokovic sitting there. So what do you guys think about the women's side of Wimbledon? Can I pose a question to you as the resident Americans who do this pod? How you guys feel about Coco? For this one, so I can answer that because I'm a huge Coco Goff fan, and how how I feel about her is simply that across all American players, if I had to hang my hopes on someone who's going to win a slam, that's who it would be. So uh, Tiafo and Fritz are exciting, but it, it it feels a little bit more pipe dreamy. I'm like, I feel like she is like locked. She's really right there. Um, she played in the French Open final last year and lost to Sviatek, who's unbelievable. And then this year, that's who she lost to in the tournament again. So I'm, I'm like, she's like, and she's so young. She's got slams ahead of her more assuredly than anybody else uh, in the U.S. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think that was spot on. I don't even want to add anything. I don't want to ruin what you just said. <laughs> What about you, Robbie? Um, I think Iga for me is going to be my pick to win it all, to take it all. I think again, I find it just hard to look past her. I had the good fortune of being able to watch her at the U.S. Open last year against Jessica Pagula. Pagula, uh, I don't know. But getting the the letters of her last name crossed up, but she was just. On another level. And then that was that whole stretch she had last year where she was just on a run. Um, I think a name that gets talked about as sort of a potential finalist, uh, obviously, is Anz Jabor. And I'm, like, desperate for her to win a slam. But I think the more time that goes on that she doesn't win it, sort of failed in, she's not failed, but she lost in two finals. Um, and that sort of mental pressure starts building. So I hope she can sort of get that metaphorical monkey off her back. I think she's one of my favorite players on the women's tour right now. So really hoping, crossing the fingers and toes, that she can work some magic and maybe take on the Wimbledon trophy this year. Took the words right out of my mouth. That's that's my pick, Hans Jupper. Uh Really? Last year's runner-up. Uh, of her four WTA titles in her career, two have come on grass. Birmingham in uh, 2021 and the German Open in 2022. So she's uh, got some good credentials on grass. Uh, I think she's playing well right now. Obviously, we'll talk about her later. One of the darlings of Breakpoint. Uh, huge Jabur fan. So I'm I'm picking her as my winner. Wow. That's huge. You don't want to play it safe again? So I've got some thoughts on Iga. Uh, so her, her worst performances in the slams have been at Wimbledon. Her, her best finish at Wimbledon is... Uh, so uh, I think it's her worst surface. 
I don't know. Obviously, she's a machine, though. <laughs> Just incredible. So we'll see. Maybe this is the year she breaks through Wimbledon. Do you want to pull up the betting odds? Because I thought I thought yes. whoever drew them up for the men's was pretty like responsible. Those sounded pretty realistic to me. So for women, so the favorite is Iga, plus three eighty. Uh, Rabakina is second, plus four twenty-five. Savalenka third, plus five hundred, and then a big jump to plus thirteen hundred. Kvitova is fourth. So yes, so Iga, Rabakina, Savalenka. I obviously wouldn't be surprised to see any of those three win it. But uh, so Jabur is fifth, tied for fifth at plus fourteen hundred. Boy, oh boy, I love Sabalenka at plus 500. Yeah, that's a nice pick. That's just sitting there. Looks like Coco is tied for ninth best odds, plus 2,800. That's a, whoa, that's some big time money if you laid a couple bones down there. It's much more of a stumper. Um, I mean, Rabakina, it, it's one of these things where, it's not like men's where you look and you go like, well, these are the people that win and these are people that like kind of are just one level down. Um, the women's rotate every year who wins. So right now we're talking all Sviatek and, uh, and Rabakina and Sabalenka, and they've been so good. But if you just look back at who's won two years ago and three years ago, it's, it's like totally different. Yeah, and there's uh yeah, that's reflected in the betting odds, it seems like too. Um my dark horse is the country of Russia. I don't know if it's that much of a dark horse, but um <laughs> they are they have just like clearly a, a passion for tennis and a total like uh I don't know I don't know if that's gonna be that's going to represent the champion, but like just a, a committee effort towards like the quarter and semifinals um, in some of these smaller tournaments in the early part of the year, some of these really, really young girls that are like 16 and 18 are like just intimidating and really good. And we just saw Potapova. Uh, what did I say? She has been playing pretty good on grass. I'll, I'll choose her officially to represent that committee. As um, look out for Poda Poda. <laughs> so I've got a dark horse pick on the women's side. Okay. And it's going to sound familiar to you. <laughs> and, and Ravi, uh, I'm a I'm a big Ostapenko fan. <laughs> I'm going Yelena Ostapenko. She uh, got to the fourth round at Wimbledon last year. Uh, she's been to a Wimbledon semifinals back in 2018. Uh, like we mentioned, coming off a grass court title just this yep. past week in Birmingham. Uh, and I, I was watching, uh, I was like Googling about that tournament and like a little clip came up. Uh, and the commentators, when she won, called her the grass court queen, which I've never heard her called that before. <laughs> I always think of her as a clay court specialist. But uh, so there's that. So I'm going Ostapenko. Had a disappointing... Uh, uh, performance at the French. Maybe she wants to get that bad taste out of her mouth. I think she's going to make a run here to the quarters, maybe even the semis. As long as you're talking about like who's the queens of what court, 
It, it actually goes back to your question. I think we have to just like educate ourselves more on the different types of court and in the uh, one-handed backhand that you were talking about earlier. But when you're talking about Anz Jaburjo as your big pick, mm-hmm. I think of her so clay-ish because she plays a big touch game, right? Yeah, she loves the drop shot, yeah. And what, what so let's start with why is the drop shot a clay thing and then why is she better at on grass if the first statement is even true? <laughs> that yeah. Sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, you just might be asking the wrong guy here. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, like, uh, if it was me, I mean, they're so good at sliding, but, like, I've never played on clay, but I feel like it would be very difficult for me to just, like, the stopping and starting. Like, run, well, that maybe this is the answer. Like, running up to the net to get to a drop shot, like, you got to, you know, like, hit the gas really quick and, like, get your butt up there. I mean, like, the stopping and starting is difficult on clay. So that oh, might because be your feet are slipping. So I can, yeah. so I can like, send you back to the back line. And if you're on hard court, you can get up there no problem. But if you're on clay, right, you, it's harder, gotta, harder to get started. Okay. All right. So, yeah. But she also went to the finals of uh, Wimbledon last year. So she's obviously capable on grass, too. So, yeah, that's a good question. Can I just add for the clay? I think the actual surface as well, like, this is just drawing on some other experience for other sports. Like in cricket, when you use clay on the pitch, the ball sort of tends to hold up, especially when it's been hit with any kind of spin, it's a little bit more pronounced than maybe other surfaces. And so I think the clay sort of, I think of a drop shot being hit with a lot of backspin, if that's right. And I think the surface sort of allows it to hold up and, and kick in a slightly different way than, than other surfaces do as well. Mm, that's a great point that's a that's a really good point i think that's a huge part of it yeah yeah that it 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 just sucks in that spin and go and it just you can see them just drop the ball across the net and out yeah i think that's a huge part of it all right last chance for wimbledon excitement hot takes um i have i have one more fun topic uh on Wimbledon. I have one more men's dark course, if Here I can put it out there. Uh, let's just put some money behind Sir Andy. Why not? The yes! <laughs> Love yeah, that! <laughs> the, the romantic in me, I would, what I would give to just see him make a run. Like, I don't even need him to win, but just, like, string together, like, a few epic matches, maybe a little nice quarterfinal in there, semifinal, have the home crowd behind him, sort of get that I think get the home send off he really deserves in a way. Um, I would I wouldn't be surprised if if he makes a deep run, probably one of two ways. Maybe he he sort of says right, well I've got enough in the tank to keep going, or maybe he's like you know what I've done it. I sort of proved to myself that I can get back out there. Maybe he calls it time. But either way, I would love 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 to see him just uh, just to get some games under his belt and and sort of make a meaningful contribution to the tournament this year. I love it. Yeah, I love that too. I'd love to see that. <laughs> we we love uh, Sir Andy. He he's featured in our uh, our like the intro of our podcast. Um, little sound bite, and I I was talking earlier about the parallels of the frustrations and the carousel of our tennis nations, and it's a it's honestly goes all the way to the parallel of the 
during the GOAT era, and it's Nadal, and it's Federer, and it's Djokovic, like one Englishman and one American has scraped out a glorious at-home Grand Slam. That was That is like what we've been living on since then. And so that's Roddick in like, a long time ago in the 2000s and then yeah. and then we i think we remember murray's a little bit better was that a huge deal for you guys yeah it was and it i mean i actually remember i would say more vividly his first slam title which was the u.s open i think in 2012 um i was a freshman in college and i had a scottish econ professor who came in absolutely hammered the day after Andy won the title um, in New York. But I think the Wimbledon, it's just, it was, we'd been waiting, right? Like I think I mentioned like Tim Hinman and Greg Rosetsky had teased for a while, a couple of sneaky, maybe one semifinal in there for Tiger Tim. Um, I think Greg Rosetsky had reached a US Open semifinal, but having someone just be as good as Andy is and then also just winning that championship. And I think people say it's a lot, but obviously, any other era and he probably has a few more slams to his name but the fact that he's just held his own against i would say arguably three of the greatest tennis players of all time i think he, he probably in in some ways is the goat for a lot of people based in the uk so yeah it was just a magic was 2018 uh it was incredible to put it in uk terms it's not the fifth beetle but he's like the fourth goat <laughs> i like that we're gonna keep that I think uh, if he's in any other era, he's got at least 10 slams. And I believe he has three. I, I think he's just uh, was born at the wrong time, went up against. And there was a big four for a while, like back in like 2013, 2014. It was not the big three. It was Andy Murray was part of the big four. So I think any other era, he's got 10 to, 10 to 12, maybe 14 slams. Joe comes at Ivan Lendl huge in this podcast. <laughs> I actually have one more thing about Wimbledon. Here uh, we go. <laughs> so I was talking to Joe about this earlier in the week. So Annette Contevit is retiring. Former world number two. Has had a great career. No slam uh, victories, but very, very good player. Retiring due to medical reasons. Lumbar disc degeneration in her back. And Wimbledon will be her last tournament of her career. So uh, sad to see her go. That would be a heck of a swan song to make a run here at Wimbledon for her. So, And what a what a sort of turning of the table moment that would be if she gets a nice little run after her little cameo and break point, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll also just correct myself. Andy won his Wimbledons in 2013 and 2016. I don't know why I said 18, but... We will just forget that I said that. I thought he only won the, the one. So I didn't even know he had that many. That's huge. That's great. Yeah, he beat Raonic in one. He beat Djokovic in 2013. Yeah, but I think Djokovic was, well, he was definitely coming off like an injury in the semifinal. He was coming off a vaccination, I think, back then. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Just been let back into the country, and there he was. Top top shape, though, no doubt in my mind. Wow. 
Um, okay, so the only other Wimbledon thing I wanted to just tease, just have fun with uh, before we talk break point, because it's a super long episode, is um, the Wimbledon white. I, you might, if you watch enough of it on TV and you go on Instagram, it's always a fun topic of conversation. The, the strict white dress code at Wimbledon and the players either adherence or commitment to, uh, you know, rebelling against the all whites. Robbie, thoughts? Yeah. England and like the UK in general are steeped in a lot of very random traditions that we just refuse to let go of. Uh, and so all white Wimbledon, as bad as that sounds, um, that is, one of them and like a lot of our sports like we're so weird like we have football or soccer it's like no rules like nothing like that it's very sort of uh, unbuttoned sport everyone's like absolutely drunk and going crazy and then you've got these sort of more upper class for lack of a better word like tennis and cricket where there's all these rules and formalities you know what you can wear as a fan what the players can wear um what's sort of allowed what's not allowed so yeah just one of those quirks i suppose um makes wimbledon what it is right i think that's that's sort of gives it some of its magic is some of that old world sort of ness to it that the rules hold over and all that but yeah i'm not the biggest fan but i'm sure people will defend it staunchly what do you think joe you love the wimbledon whites uh i wouldn't say i love it i'm uh i don't hate it though i i uh, i'm all for like tradition i think it's kind of cool actually um but like I, I get why people don't like it. But I mean, I don't know. I got no problem with it. It's interesting, like the contrast of uh the all white at Wimbledon and then like the US Open, it seems like everyone wears like super colorful stuff. So that's interesting. My my one gripe with the US Open last year is that all of the athletes like sponsored by Nike, I swear they just wore the exact same top. Alcaraz, Tiafo, like everyone. And they were just so confusing watching them go back and forth exactly the same colors across the screen. Yeah, Nike, Nike's been in a really sort of specific, like regimented specific era where every athlete that they sponsor, you really like it's the it's same couple of designs. And even the same shirts. I've noticed that too, Robbie. Yeah, so if anyone from Nike is listening, mix it up. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll get a pass on Wimbledon because everybody will be in white. Um, I feel like I'm equally a fan of the tradition of it and the like hatred of the tradition. I feel like it's all part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, think that, I think that resonates, that tracks. Um, I did, I Googled a little bit, uh, you know, you can find fun articles, uh, if you want to go offline from the podcast, if it's not enough people that have tried to like purposely shirk the traditions of the white uniforms, obviously curious, uh, when he went to this final against Djokovic a couple of years ago was wearing like, basically like, a sort of like, I went to the YMCA basketball outfit. It was all white, but it was like backwards, sweaty hat, like cut off tee over spandex t-shirt. <laughs> a great version of like the most disrespectful way to wear the Wimbledon white. Um, 
I learned that Andre Agassi just boycott for a couple of years because he didn't because he didn't like the idea of it. That is wild. I did not know that. So he just didn't play in Wimbledon because he didn't want to wear white. Yeah, he. Just, yeah. <laughs> wow. He said, "You know, stick it to the man." Um, there's other fun examples of just people that want to push the boundaries and, and whether they wear like colorful underwear or just, just a goofy arm sleeve or a hat. Um, they figure out ways to like, you know, just be haters, which is, which is fun and cool. How do you, how do you guys feel about Nick Kyrgios's backwards flat, flat brimmed hat? You know, like usually <laughs> the tennis players they have that like sort of curved beak, but he's got one of those biking or skating hats with the really flat, almost upturned, beat which looks a little that's a little different you know yeah that's what he he was uh had that going in breakpoint a little bit that is a that's a strange look that is that's a good point about it, it looks like like a biking ad almost i maybe uh joe mentioned maybe it's like a it almost looks like it's been so sweaty it's like damaged to the point where it like sticks up yeah like a like a sport hat yeah I think he looks super cool. I mean, like, he, he <laughs> drips fuckboy in his actions, in his dress, in his, like, even the way he plays. And it's, like, it's pretty cool. He did put a red hat on, too, for his, uh, on the on-court uh, interview mm-hmm. after after the loss. Yeah. And Talk I actually heard. Joe, because that's even a, even that's a violation of the Wimbledon White. Yeah, I did hear that is a violation, but nobody. Nobody told him not to do it. I guess so. They let him let him get away with it. So he was wearing all white, but just to just to walk onto the court and then just to do his interview, he puts on a red hat. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan hat. Yeah, it was Jordan. It wasn't. It wasn't MAGA. <laughs> I think uh, I might be confusing this with someone else now, but I think like years ago, I think Serena was wearing like a a colored uh like a pink or purple like sports bra under her white top and they like made her change it at, at Wimbledon. Yeah, I read this one, yeah. Okay. And and of course it's a great opportunity to like I mean all of the all the narratives of like big old staunchy old school establishment like telling a woman like what color her bra should be like like it's all there for people to just enjoy the drama of, but um, it's fun when players want to put the middle finger up to it, but it's also fun. It's also fun, Joe, like if you and me went out and we were playing and we happen to be playing in July to be wearing all white, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I don't think I've ever owned a, owned a pair of white shorts in my life. So I would have to buy some, but yeah, that could be fun. It's never too late. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) The tennis fundamentals, the serve, the volley, and the smash. This month we are doing tennis. What better way to take advantage of the great weather than with a game of tennis? I have no chance in the match. He's the number one in the world and I'm playing with a metal hit. 